Wow. I can't believe how many people are here. <laughs> Welcome back and Happy New Year. Please join me for the prayer of illumination. Let us pray. Almighty God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us eyes to see the path you have given us ears to hear your call for us to grow, and hearts impassioned with the desire to serve you in the faces of our neighbors and strangers. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. The scripture lesson is from Habakkuk 2, 1 through 3. Hear these words. I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write a vision, make it plain on tablets, so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks to the end, and it does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's a, a church member, a church leader, uh, who's very active in the first couple of years that I was here at Chapelwood and, and would remind often at church council, when you don't know where you're going, can you finish the statement? Any road will do. When you don't know where you're going, any road will do. Uh, I'd say uh, when a couple of years ago when my family decided we were going to go on a vacation, we we're going to go to Disney World, uh, we realized that it was going to take some saving, it was going to take some effort. It was going to take us setting aside some time to go, um, and most likely it would require us changing some of our habits to get there. Now, could you imagine after a year and a half of saving, after a number of family sessions of planning which park we would go to when, all of the discussion about which hotel we'd stay in, if we got in the car, all loaded up, everything that we needed for a week-long trip to the happiest place on earth, and I got behind the wheel and said, woohoo, we're going to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> the first step of uh, taking next steps is knowing where you're going to plant your foot. It, um, I'm a kid of the 80s and played uh, the old Atari 8-bit kind of games. Right? You remember Frogger and its very earliest um, uh, generation? The game of Frogger was about a frog jumping across a stream. And, and the idea was the frog had to jump on uh, logs or uh, rocks or even the back end of an alligator as it tried to make its way across the screen. The game of Frogger functions on the idea of don't jump until you know where you're going to land. And so as we think about focus, as we think about where we're headed, 
there's been a tradition, at least for the last three or four years, that the first Sunday of the year that we spend it talking a little bit about vision. And you're familiar with this. If you've been along on the ride with us, we have talked about uh, the importance of taking your next step. We've talked about the importance of raising a generation in faith. We have looked at scriptures such as where there is no vision, the people perish, right? We have paid attention to a number of things over the last four years. And so today, I want to focus us as we think together. Now, you get a prize if you have ever studied Habakkuk. You get a prize if you can spell it, right? (laughs) Anybody a scholar in Habakkuk? All right, this is great. The Nagel is wonderful, right? I have to confess, after three years of seminary, um, easily five years of a a doctoral program shoved into four years, don't judge. Um, After all of that education, not once did I have a lecture on Habakkuk. Now, maybe the minor prophets, right? Sure. But somewhere along the line, you get the idea that if they didn't include it in the lecture, then was it really that important? They were talking like three chapters. I mean, it is easy. You could read it during the time of this sermon. And who knows? You might learn more about it. Um, The book of Habakkuk starts with the guy who it's named for, the prophet Habakkuk, who is uh, casting prophecy. Now this is his job. Most scholars say that he is a temple priest prophet. I'm thinking that's an interesting job to have, right? Um, You're paid to foretell the future. Now, uh, Habakkuk is living in a time of difficulty, right? I often say that um, when a prophet shows up on your doorstep, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. The prophet doesn't come to pat you on the back and to say, oh my goodness, how wonderful you've been doing as the people of God. Instead, the prophet says, it's going to be difficult because you've not been measuring up. And so Habakkuk, um, his prophecy is to cry out to God uh, for um, relief, for, um, for peace. Because the king and um, all of the uh, temple leaders and the nation itself of Israel have wandered from the path and that it already has been foretold that God was going to punish them by sending the Babylonians to sack their city. Now this is fascinating if you're a biblical scholar because you know though Habakkuk, and one day I will pronounce it correctly, um, Habakkuk, um, or the H-man, Habakkuk um, is foretelling not some minor issue of invasion. He's foretelling the end of this Davidic uh, dynasty. He is foretelling the beginning of the raising of the Temple Mount. He is foretelling the carting off of half the population of, uh, of Judah over to Nebuchadnezzar's neighborhood in Babylon. This is a big deal. Now, Habakkuk... Um, He's interesting. Sometimes you only get one bite at the apple. He gets two. And so after crying out for relief, he then cries out to God asking, why in the world, if the world isn't fair, are you punishing us who have done evil things with people who are evil? 
He, he actually makes the argument that, that the Babylonians are too powerful, that they're too corrupt, that they are too evil. And how can a good God use such an evil people to punish his chosen children? That is pretty good, huh? I mean, that's, that's some good colonial stuff, right? I mean, we could talk a little bit about Roman Empire. We could talk about, um, you know, the different ways in which our global economy creates winners and losers. We could talk about the differences between third world and first world countries. Habakkuk has got it going on. But much like the other passages that we cite for vision, Habakkuk has little to say about vision. Now, I, I know in the scripture passage, it says, make the vision plain, right? Make it so that runners can read it, right? I mean, this is great if you're a pastor who's about to lead a congregation into a revision time. It's great. It says, wait on the ramparts, look off into the future, wait for the answer to come. And when it comes, write it down plainly on tablets so that runners can run it. I mean, this is like perfect for like a Hallmark card or a newsletter article or a capital campaign, don't you think? It's strange. When we talk about scriptures that talk about vision, uh, especially the, uh, where the people, where there is no vision, the people perish. We want so badly that vision to be the pastor's eight-point plan. Or, or wait, maybe that's, I want it to be the pastor's eight-point plan. But when you get into the Hebrew, when you really spend time with what vision is, it's what the Old Testament says over and over again. The vision is really, um, it's the path, it's the way, it's uh, recognizing that God is the ultimate destination for all of us. And so where there is no vision could be properly translated where the people don't follow the law, where they don't listen to the prophets, and where they don't learn from the wisdom of scripture, the people perish. But every pastor in today's day and time wants so badly to have a congregation that will follow their eight-point plan. Now, I think what's interesting about Habakkuk is that Habakkuk, so, he, so what he's waiting for on the rampart, what he's to write down on the tablets, what he is supposed to make good for runners to run with, is really the answer that he's going to receive from God, right? He's called into question God's um, goodness in using evil people to punish the children of God. It's interesting, right? What's interesting about it is Habakkuk gets to the point as he listens, he begins to write down. He writes down the feeling and difficulties of oppressed people. He writes down a victory hymn that some scholars say was written after the Israelites came back from their exile in Babylon. Um, he writes at the, towards the very end about this reality that God is good and let the whole earth be silent in God's presence. And um, verse four, uh, chapter two, verse four says um, that all things are by faithfulness. If you want to tr uh, trace this through to the New Testament, this is where Paul begins his argument of the fact that all things come by faith, right? Um, sola fideus. Ooh, my mouth just got dry. Um, this idea that uh, our faithfulness is what matters. 
It doesn't matter what tools God gives us. It doesn't matter how God punishes us. It does not matter what the world does to us. What matters is that we are faithful in even difficult times, that we are faithful even in strange times, that we are faithful even when things are ambiguous in the world around us. So preacher, what are you trying to say? Well, I'm trying to say that much like last week when Anthony talked about prophecy being a cycle, and that if we learn the cycle, we begin to see the ways in which the world's going to act towards us again, that I believe this passage also is um, kind of uh, uh, basic instructions for Christians. That is this reality that, uh, that if, uh, as much as I want um, Joel Osteen and the prosperity gospel to be true, the idea if I sing the right songs and pray the right prayers and show up at worship the right number of times, that I'll have health and wealth and happiness, that it's all not true. That the idea of being faithful to a God who's faithful to me is to recognize that even when the waters rise, God is with us. That even when things are difficult, God is with us. It's the tradition of Isaiah and Job. It's the tradition of the psalmist, right? This idea of lament as we ask God, remind us again where our hope comes from. It's a powerful message, I think. I think it's powerful when we realize that the most important thing that we do is to not have an eight-point plan for how we will take over the world, but rather that we have faith in God, faith in the one who is good, faith in the one who will deliver us. I um, was talking to one of my old seminary profs um, uh, about a couple months ago, and um, it was fascinating. This uh, prof was doing... Uh, Ignatius of Loyola's spiritual exercises. If you're a fan of spiritual formation, this is, uh, Ignatius was a a Catholic. He was um, a guy who thought that it would be really helpful to have guided meditation, guided, um, uh, kind of imagine in your head opportunities for prayer. And so he would have these retreats. They were very popular in his day and time. The men would all come out and they would spend, um, you know, number three or four days together. And they were scripted um, visions or guided meditations to go through. Now, um, Loyola was a tough dude, all right? I mean, he had a sword, was happy to go and conquer for for the kingdom. Um, But he had learned that intimacy with God came through this imagining what God might say. And so um, in modern times, um, the kind of Ignatian practice has become uh, one of these where you read, you imagine, and you journal. You read, you imagine, and you journal. And so here's the seminary professor sitting on the couch in her house doing this read, imagine, and journal. And she says, you know, I was really looking to know what Jesus was going to say to me. What was Jesus going to guide me to do? What was my next step? There were all of these questions that could be done, but I wanted to know what Jesus wanted me to do. And so I read out of the Ignatian journal. I journaled in the blanks where it told me to. I imagined what Jesus would say. And she said to me, darn, if what I imagined was that Jesus sat on the couch across from me, And he listened to every idea that I had. That he listened to every problem and question that could come up. And at the end of the discussion, he looked at me and said, don't you know, no matter what you do, as long as you love me while you do it, it's good. What a powerful thing 
for us to realize that eight-point plans can stroke the ego of the pastor, but they may not actually make us more faithful together. That what Habakkuk is encouraging us to do is to remain faithful, faithful in all things, and maybe even to remain silent before God who is good. Now you might wonder why in the world would I take that direction? Uh, Why in the world would I say on Vision Sunday, we're not going to have any vision. Well, no, we're going to have a vision, certainly. And I hope after the next 12 months, we will um, have one that will be as similarly compelling as raising a generation in faith was. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to check the box on uh, raising a generation in faith, dismiss all of our children and youth staff, um, tear down the children and youth area, and go for something, I don't know, like older adult ministry or something, right? No, no, we're going to keep doing what we've been doing and think of what is the next step that God's called us in faithfulness to do. And when I think about some of those things, I think about the world around us. I I think about um, the challenges in our own um, city. Um, I think about every time I drive to get my swanky bagel from Panera, that over the last couple of days there's been a man camped on the median right there next to Target. I I think about um, the various letters of support and thanks that I get from the food basket, from Brassport Cares, from the Pregnancy Help Center. Uh, I think about the hurt and the care that can be, um, the, the hurt and the wounds that are out there and the care that we could give. I, I think as we start a new year, as we dream of where God is calling us to go, I think it is bound up very much in our standing on the ramparts watching and waiting to see what God will say. And then when we hear it, to write the vision, to make it plain so that runners can run with it, so that others might hear of it, so that we might do it together. I do think in the next uh, 12 months, uh, Mike Moreau, our chair of church council, will be leading us in a process of visioning. Um, uh, Some of you have already been invited to write about strengths and weaknesses that you see of the church. Um, I've invited y'all also to think about in uh, in a year, um, ideally what this chapel would look like. Um, I love that exercise. Uh, to dream of what some place will look like when we're done, right? It'd be great to say in five years, but let's be honest, five years is an eternity in our internet texting Twitter generation. Three years is really a long time. One year probably is doable as we think together about what this place will look when we write plainly what God's called us to do, when we write it in such a way that a runner could run with it and to see the difference that it could make. Prophecy. Prophecy is not just about saying it's going to get worse before it gets better. Prophecy is also about recognizing that if we know what God's calling us to do, we can stand in one place, focus on another, and see the path before us. The trick is to be faithfulness, to be faithful. And of course, lastly, the wisdom from Habakkuk says, um, sometimes when God is good, all we can do is remain silent before the throne. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.